This podcast is certified organic. That's how we roll. 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 Welcome to the Goblin's Corner. My name is Eric. And my name is Matt. And once again, we're talking about gaming, role playing, and all kinds of fun storytelling stuff. Absolutely. What have you been up to this week? Mostly working and binge watching uh, my Netflix account. So what? I've got a couple different. I actually have. Two recommendations for those of you who haven't seen it. Most people at this point have probably seen The Witcher. It's really good in terms of it's very cheesy. And I find, I don't know, what do you think about it? I, it's not an unpleasant cheese, though. It like it has camp to it, but it actually has a storyline as well. It's like a fine Gouda that you just melt in your brain. And, and, and just, I, I don't know, it, I like it a lot. I know that there's people being like, ah, oh, this is just, you know, garbage. But it's really, it's just fun, right? The storyline is cool. I know it's not based entirely off the books or the games, but I find it very interesting in terms of the adaptation. Sometimes the adaptations are just as good or different and better, right? I am not a, the written, the written word is law or the comic book is law, what have you. Every medium requires its own methodologies and you generally speaking cannot demand things be exactly from whatever the original medium was with certain exceptions sin city was astounding it's true i i, I did enjoy sin city I, i'll tell you one actually where the adaptation as far as like tv or movie was better than the book have you did you ever read the boys I did not. Okay, it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. The comics are pretty good, but the TV series is great. Like he's Carl. I'll watch Carl Urban do anything though, and he's just just fucking up superheroes, man. It's awesome. <laughs> I, I I love I love that series. I I really am enjoying it. My friend turned me on to the Magicians, which have you seen? I know before you get to the guy's hair, I know that's that's a problem for you, but. It's not so much as hair. It's 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 like a Hogwarts 90210. It's the person the hair is on. You just don't like the actor specifically? I don't know if he's a great actor or not. If the object of the series is for me to despise the main character, then they are killing it. He's probably a stand-up guy. His character is kind of banal though. I, I just I feel that that they really said we need you to really be not dark and brooding, but very self-loathing. And we want to make sure that you are clearly the nerd. And he just took it to 11. Like, he just really is like, I'm going to do everything. They all seem, at least, I'm only in the first season, so they all seem very one-dimensional. They're starting to get a little bit better at this point. I feel like the director went to him and said, there's a guy that exists. His name is Matt. And the entire purpose of this character is for you to make him want to reach through the screen and snatch the life out of you, and he's killing it. So what you're saying is you're not a fan of the TV series. I don't despise the show. I just despise that character. You know what I want to know? What is it about Hollywood where they have the need to depict college as something like this grand experience? Like, I don't know about you. I went to college, and... I've never seen a dorm room look that awesome or the people that pretty. I certainly never had sex with all of my friends when I was in college. That's not something I generally do. Usually it's people who are not my friends. 
or they become my friends at some point, obviously. But you know what I mean? Like not your, not the people you're like, oh, you're going to room with this guy and here's this new girl that you just met and all of you guys are going to fuck each other in the course of like, what, three months? So the thing is, is while that was not my experience, remember, uh, I worked most of the time, dropped out of college and just continued working. Um, I do know people who had that self-same college experience where they were just like, I just realized that college is actually for drinking and screwing. And that was the whole purpose of it. And sometimes they managed to make it to class and sometimes they didn't. Well, that's why I lost the Hope Scholarship. But what I'm saying is, is that it wasn't as glamorous as as that. You know, it was mostly a lot of 3 a.m. puking and waking up and realizing that you really shouldn't have done what you did. So the whole puking thing is one of those things where you have to use it very sparingly in media because you got a lot of sympathy pukers and you'll lose a lot of your audience for that reason. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm saying is I recommend the show. This is where we're, <laughs> this is where we're going. He doesn't, Matt doesn't recommend the show. I recommend the show if for no other reason, because my buddy Sam told me about it and now I have to yell at him for making me, I originally started hate watching the show and now I'm just kind of morbidly obsessed with it because I just want to know what other obscure things are going to get into. They do go dark and that's a good thing. The 90210-ish, clickish part of it where everybody's beautiful, I kind of despise, but that's just Hollywood and I think they're just out of touch with everything. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Let's talk about different types of players. It kind of has something to do with I'm sure like we could really like pick apart as to which person is which type of player, but that is definitely not a place I'm willing to go episode. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the, okay. So in any type of campaign, no matter what game it is, you're going to have different types of players in your party, right? Now remember, keep in mind, most role-playing games are filled with people who are already your friends, which means you probably already have an idea of, the type of personality your friends will exhibit. But in some cases, they may surprise you. That buddy of yours who, I don't know, uh, do you know any bankers? He was a banker, might all of a sudden, you know, put his elven cloak on and start just crazy role-playing, right? And you'd never expect that from someone. That is definitely true. There There are a lot of people who will happily dive into being someone else and they're not necessarily the people you would expect on the face of what they do or the habits they generally exhibit. Or the mild-mannered person that you know and love all of a sudden becomes a murder hobo. Certainly. Yes. Speaking of which, that is one of the player types. So, once again, different types of players in a gaming setting. So, Matt, take it away. The first one we're going to talk about is the role player. Ah, yes. The role player. The one who tells the story from the character's point of view. I like to call this the method acting gamer. Sure. Now, before we really dive into any of these, I would like to state most of these have pros and cons. Some of them only at certain points. But I also think that most players are bits and pieces of all of these. Yeah. With the extreme exception. These are nerd stereotypes. I mean, let's be honest. It's. You're gonna have a, you're gonna exhibit qualities of all of these, and this is not an exhaustive list, by the way. This is we we spent like you know a few minutes on Google and dug some of this stuff up, but it's also stuff that we came up with too. So, just to let you know, 
if you happen to be like, oh man, that's totally me. That really sucks. Don't worry about it. It's not just you. Everyone exhibits these types of characters. So role player is one of these, you know, player characters. Archetypes. Archetypes. There we go. Uh, Role players tend to be character driven. Uh, The... All of the the combat and and the back and forth and skills and such take a backseat to whatever is going on in the character's life and whatever they can try and do to further either their cause or their drama or whatever it is that makes that character tick. Role players are fun. If you have a if you have a party full of role players, you can really get into some serious storytelling as a, as a, at least as a game master. I personally enjoy uh, running with storytellers or uh, with role players. Yeah, I, they they're great for immersion. They're great for story. The only issue, or one of the only issues you can have with them, is that they can get bogged down in minutia. They want to have a twenty-minute conversation with the lady selling hotcakes on the side of the road. They. It can moving forward with the story can get difficult if you have a room full of role players. Yeah, if you've written out a dungeon and then all of a sudden they want to talk to the slime mold that's, you know, currently in the dungeon and you're like, I didn't I didn't write a character for this. Or maybe I'm just tired and I don't really feel like, you know, embodying every single goblin that you come in across with. Right. You some things are evil and just want you dead. That, well, in my campaign, certainly. I mean, well, in, I'm out to kill you all. In, in every, you know, uh, fantasy campaign, right? You sure. have you have creatures that are irredeemable because, in some cases, they don't have intelligence. They are literally mindless, destructive. They don't care that you just came up with a 30 minute monologue telling them the error of their ways because they don't understand what you're saying. They don't care. You know what? I'm going to go on the extreme other side of the equation. So we've got the role player, right? Okay. Very character driven, not really as interested in the rules or even hacking and slashing. I'm going to go to the hacker and slasher, right? This is also known as the murder hobo. He's here to pillage and kill. He doesn't give a damn about the story or she. Murder hobos can be anyone. Absolutely. I have, they, I've known more than a few oh yeah. murder hobos. Look, murder hobo has had a stressful day at work. Murder hobo just wants to destroy some bad guys or perceived bad guys or that NPC that you really needed to have the party finish the quest with so that they could get to wherever they were going or just average townspeople or even the it pet. Moved. Yeah, it moved. <laughs> Anything that moves is a potential XP kill, right? Murder hobos obviously have a bit of a problem, right? The biggest problem is they kill everything. That includes sometimes the familiar of your character's wizard or the other player characters. That's a problem if everybody else is trying to do something and the murder hobo screws it up for everybody. However, one of the benefits of a murder hobo is when, let's say, the role player gets bogged down and just starts poking around town... To no end, literally just wasting the entire party's time because they want to have a conversation with that flapjack seller or because they want to befriend this feral cat that they found. 
the murder hobo is going to be like, I will murder this cat if we do not get to do something soon. I am tired of this. It's true. If you're stuck in a town with a bunch of role players, the murder hobo will ensure that the villagers run out your characters from the town so that you can get to where you're going. From a game master perspective, murder hobos are great if you want to move things along or if you just want a quick hack and slash game. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is fun to murder things. Sure. I mean, that I, is part in, of the game. In fantasy. I'm going to preface that by saying it is fun to murder things in a fantasy game setting. Let's get picky. Fine. Well, all right. All right look, not in real life. How about that? I don't sure. want people like murdering other people. Well, actually, I don't really care, but I don't want them to attribute it to us saying that it's okay to murder people. Eric and Matt on the Goblin's Corner said murder everyone. I mean... Sometimes we did not some, say that. Sometimes someone needs to be murdered. Look, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> But that isn't for us to decide tonight. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So we got the rules lawyer. Rules lawyers have benefits and weaknesses, much like everybody else. Uh, one of the great things about them is because they tend to lean on a certain encyclopedic knowledge of the rules, it can actually speed up combat or those random rules that very rarely come up all of a sudden you don't have to figure out in the index what page it's on or whatever because the guy sitting across from you with the really loud laugh knows exactly what page it's on and can tell you exactly what you need to know. I wonder if we're talking about someone specific in our campaign. Perhaps. But, like I said, super useful a lot of the time. Absolutely. Sometimes having a rules layer is like having an extra GM. Sure, I if, can see if that. If you're running a game... And the party is quibbling about a rule or something like that. Sometimes the rules lawyer already knows what page it's on or knows some, you know, of the minor minutia that you honestly don't care about. You guys see how I play fast and loose, right? That being said, they can also bog down the game. That is very true. Uh, sometimes rules lawyers have difficulty understanding that the rules are a guideline. And that guideline is there to provide a framework for a story. And sometimes the narrative takes place or takes more importance than the story. Yes. Now, that being said, there is a place and time for everything. And having a rules lawyer is great. And, and once again... You know, we both play very much as far as eight, we, we are much more concerned with storytelling than the actual role playing part of it. Right. And when I say role playing, I mean the actual R.O.L.L. part. Sure. Now, there we have homebrew rules that we come up with. We use the rules for determining, you know, success or failure. Sure. So it's always good to have a rules lawyer in your party. I've, actually, I find as I'm looking through this list, we've got a whole bunch of these. I, I find if you have one of each, you're actually pretty good with the party right you need a murder hobo you need a role player you need a rules lawyer right yeah um let's see min maxer i don't know that you need a min maxer we play with nothing but min maxers but you don't need fair enough a min maxer so min maxer is almost kind of like a subcategory because min maxers can be murder hobos they can be rules lawyers they can be role players the whole purpose of min maxing is to 
optimize your character to be as good as possible, either at a single thing to make it nearly unfailable, or preferably as many things as possible. They're the one trick pony. Many times. Many times. Or yeah. they're the ones who have read all of the optimization boards and they're the divine version of the binder anima mage druid build, which is outstandingly crazy powerful. Or they play a, a spell to power erudite scion. For for third edition, that's yeah, those are pretty solid examples. Uh, Any, anything with wizard in the title? The what was it? The crusader who uses a one d two shuriken that automatically maxes out damage, but because they're using the chaos cloak uh, power, it allows them to reroll damage every single time they max out their damage. It is things can get asinine. Like theoretically, you do infinite damage with that. Yeah, they're pun. That pun. guy. They're pun pun. Exactly. Yeah. So. Min-maxers, not great in terms of that. Now, if you're power, a bunch of power gamers, it makes sense to play with a bunch of min-maxers. Sure. And, and I will say this. Again, there are fun aspects of being a min-maxer. It is fun to optimize a character and try out different things. Min-maxers will often play characters that other people won't play. They will try to do that one-trick pony and... While they're not always concerned with the actual, you know, storytelling aspect of role playing, they will get very specific in terms of what they do. Yeah, it, at least our friends do. Yeah, right? no, it can. It, like I said, most of these have their place. I don't know that a min maxer is necessary, but they are not automatically a detriment either. Fair enough. I, I can I can get behind that. Do you guys have any? Characters that we haven't mentioned so far, write to us, info at goblinscorner.com, or you can email us individually, either matt at goblinscorner.com or eric at goblinscorner.com. This is a commercial break. If you guys would like to hear us review something like a product or service, or if you'd like us to cover something like a topic... Or if you'd like to sponsor an episode, we'd love to hear from you and have you contact us at info at goblinscorner.com. So write to us, and maybe we'll talk to you. Maybe not. So let's talk about world breakers. So, see what happened was, um, that can oftentimes be me. The World Breakers, uh, they use the mechanics, as they're written, to creatively solve or bypass problems. Um, th that was my example, actually, in episode one, right? Is there was a problem. We, I didn't, I guess I wasn't particularly feeling a dungeon dive that night, and so I just flooded it and drowned everything in the dungeon. I'm going to tell one that you actually told me. Uh, a while back, you were at a game session at a at a con, and you played a cleric, and the whole it was a whole bunch of like what level ones was it? Uh, I think level three. Level threes. Okay, you were going into a haunted house, and you looked around and you looked at the guy who was trying to get you in the haunted house, and you detected evil or detected alignment, right? And he right. was evil. He was chaotic evil. Yep. And so you just burned the house down. Yep. 
And so the entire adventure was destroyed because you just set the whole house on fire. That is a world-breaking exercise. Or the example of how to kill a dragon with a lot of, you know, homemade explosives and yep. a donkey. Yes. There are many ways to break the game. It's, I, I do it all the time as well. World breakers can be the most frustrating characters you will run for or the most entertaining characters you will run for. And it really depends on your mindset. If you're planning something and you spent hours building, hours, a world breaker will inevitably piss you off. They're actually the reason why I game master the way I do. Why I make stuff up as I go along half the time. It's probably the reason I got into improv, honestly. Because I would I used to be that I used to be that DM, right? I used to be the DM who would write all that stuff out, made maps, took time, cared about my characters, right? The preparer. Yeah, I was the preparer, yes. I had the book. I had a big old trapper keeper at the time. I was a kid. And I remember my my players would come up and they would be like, oh, look at this. I said, you know, I tried to get him into the, the whole dungeon. I had everything mapped out. Yeah, there's all this stuff there. And then they go, like, that's cool. We're going to go to the bar. And I was like, I don't have anything prepared for that. Or they'd be like, hmm, so there's goblins coming out of this, this dungeon that's clearly going to be an adventure for at least five or six sessions, and we'll come out of that level 10 by the end of that. Let's just put some boulders over the entrance of the dungeon. Problem solved, and they did, and I didn't have anything to do with that. So, again, can be frustrating, but that being said, I'm gonna look. I'm looking at Matt right now. That was me, right? Hey, so we played a pirate campaign, and I was running the, this pirate campaign. This is in the Forgotten Realms, third edition, and Matt's character was a kobold. He was a dragon. Sure, he was a dragon rock kobold. Was your uh, you were. Uh, What's the character class? I was oh mercy. Dragonfire Adept. I was a Dragonfire Adept sorcerer. Uh I, I this character was one of the Min Max characters that I actually had. But this was a bring your A game game. Sure. Yeah, everybody played a Min Max character because my friends are crazy. But I think that was I mean that was that was kind of a given at the start of the campaign, you it was I, we didn't spring that on you. I did say all of you play pirates, all of you are going to bring your A game, and just realize that if you bring your A game, so the, will you, so will I, and we did, and it was fun. But at the end of every game session, roughly, whenever you got kicked out of town or whenever you did something to completely break the world, which you did fairly frequently, you would create a fifty foot tall image of yourself with a big sign that said, "That was me." Correct. Uh, the reason for that was because the rest of the party did not want to take the credit slash blame for anything we did. Well, everybody else was incognito. I believe Jim's character wore a different face every single time he went into shore. Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere we went. Most yeah. of the characters were invisible. And then there's this dragon rock kobold wearing the most gaudy costume imaginable or yes. whatever you could get yeah. and making 50 foot images of himself. So they could never really get rid of, you know, any particular enemy on their tail. I, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great because I could just throw monsters at you guys and it didn't matter. I'm, I mean, he was a dragon, right? Sure. Like what he was down, he's down there for the loot, man. <laughs> but you know, uh, that, 
That campaign could have easily fallen into the next category, which is the villain. Yes. Um, the villain wants to kill other players, derail the group dynamic. Uh, the, there are other villainous things, such as... Um, you know, I, I have a different name. I usually call this character the prick. And the reason he's the prick is because the villain wants to be the villain in the campaign. He's a player character, which means he's going to be the guy that's chaotic evil when everyone else is playing lawful good. He's going to be the character that kind of attempts to mess up the entire storyline behind the game. Something that, look, a little bit of intergroup fighting is fun, at least from my aspect, because I usually run games. But if you're playing it, it kind of sucks. Because you want the characters to get along. What you don't want is all of the characters to go in a different direction. You know, you kind of want them to stay together because as a game master, it's hard to run when everybody's doing a different thing. Right. And you don't want them to fight because then people get pissed off too, right? right. If if I come in and I'm I'm that rogue that steals all the player characters' loot, then they and then they wake up because I'm a good rogue, and now they got nothing. They're going to be pissed not just at, you know, the player character out of game, but also at me for letting it happen, even though it's perfectly within reason to happen. Now, I would never get mad at the DM for that because the character who did the stealing was capable of doing the stealing. That literally has nothing to do with the DM at that point. But the so the villain can make a super interesting character if the villain and the dm are both aware that the villain is the villain from the outset yes that is a good example if you know if you're if so as a game master don't ever let a player not play a villain if they want if they want to actually play it there are rules to do that right you can easily say okay cool at some point you're going to screw the characters over but then Honestly, they ha you have to let them know that at some point, if you do that to the other player characters, they're probably going to murder you. I have played in a campaign where, from the outset, I was the arch nemesis. And the, the dungeon master approached me about this. It was written into the story. I was always intended to be the arch nemesis, so... The trick was continue to be good enough not to get caught and murdered by the party. I had a friend of mine. We played, this was a great campaign that we played many years ago. Uh, it was called The Great Campaign because it lasted about three years. And we could tell, there's this one character that we had. His name was Warfield. He was, you know, the guy who was playing with him, he was a villain, right? We knew he was going to be a villain. He played with the characters, he helped them out. But he was kind of like, if you're going back on Dragonlance here, he was Raceland Majir, right? Right. You know what I mean? Like, you knew he was going to be evil at some point in time. You knew he was going to, you know, screw the characters over at some point in time. Just not today. And eventually, all of the characters started to level. You know, we got up, I think we got up to, you know, pre-epic, around 15, 18 level. And that's when he did it. He decided, all right, for today's whatever reason, the today's the day. I'm screwing everybody over. And he did. And it was great because all the other players knew this was going to happen. They weren't surprised. They weren't they upset. Actually weren't, they weren't upset because they had had, you know, 15, 20 levels to make sure that if he did that, they had a plan. 
And so it became this epic battle. And it was awesome. And when it got resolved, everybody was satisfied. He got to play his big bad. He get, you know, he he did a turncoat thing. They you know, he destroyed some people, they destroyed him, and it was cool. We had this really awesome story of betrayal and, you know, the inevitable death of of several people. So that was fun. Another way that you can make it fun too is just have an evil campaign. Yeah. And it can go really, really dark. It can go very, very dark. I'm, I'm, yeah. Well, our characters weren't that bad. We both know who we're referencing. Yeah, I'm not going to name any names. He, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty awful. My character was fun because I had a necromancer, and he would just bury skeletons and then give treasure maps out to people. Right. You know, I, uh, I was setting up a vampiric petting zoo. Yeah. See, well, that's because we're chaotic fun. So. Of course, I also was grabbed an orphanage, polymorphed all the people to look exactly alike, and then trained them to be different types of assassins. Hmm. Always was, mess with their minds. Yeah. Yeah, I was never that subtle. I, I would just put explosive runes on all of the anything I could and just plaster them around town and watch all the doors blow up. Well, the thing is, is you were actually chaotic evil. Mine was a long-term plan. I was lawful evil. Oh, you actually had a goal. I just, yeah. I just wanted to screw stuff up. Right. You were there to just... Watch the world burn? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so while many of us think that the villain is fun, at least I think the villain's fun, in particular contexts... Can be. I would say that the bully is not. No. Their entire purpose is to be the best. They are one of the people that believe that you can win a role-playing game. Yeah, it, it they they misunderstand the whole purpose of playing games. The yep. So there's not a limited amount of fun. Everybody can have as much fun as everybody can have. The problem comes when one person feels like they deserve all of the fun. Yeah, the bully is a very angry person in general. The bully feels that they play this game in order to get one over on everybody else playing. And, yeah, they see it as a very competitive sort of thing. They don't get it as just something that you, you know, you enjoy. There's there's a difference between playing a villain and, you know, kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm going to kill all your characters off, and actually just bullying characters. They're also the kind of character where if they see the dungeon master playing something like an NPC, they feel the need to immediately, you know, assert their superiority no matter whether it makes sense to the character or even if it's clearly a more powerful character. I've seen characters get wiped because there was a bully in one of the parties and he just decided, well, I'm going to go and poke the dragon with the stick or whoever it happened to be, right? That 20th level sorcerer doesn't seem too tough. You know, screw him. And and they just wipe the characters. I stabbed the dragon and tell it to get off of me. Yeah. I don't really have much else to say about the bully, do you? No. No. So, screw the bully. Now, there's another character that is the metagamer. I also call this one the cheater. Although there are multiple ways of cheating, metagaming is definitely one of them. So, the metagamer is, if you're unfamiliar, is someone who uses knowledge that they already have, but their character may not have. Or, they'll do something like, if the party rogue is sneaking up on somebody, or even that character they happen to somehow always know that that's going on. 
it's it's another way of cheating, much like the bully always wants to win. The metagamer also always wants to win, but for different reasons, not necessarily for superiority, but just because they're afraid to lose. That's true. Uh, the The problem with metagaming is, let's say you've been playing for many years, and you just started a new campaign with your first level character. Okay, I got a first level character. You got a first level character. So, your first level character, unlike you, has not memorized the monster manual. Your first level character hasn't been outside of town yet. Yeah, he's a noob. Right. So, you roll up on this wounded troll, but he seems to be regenerating. What do you do? You keep poking him with the stick. If you're a first level character, if your character doesn't know, or you'd roll your intelligence. You roll intelligence, you roll nature, whatever the appropriate skill for knowing that you need to set the thing on fire or drop some acid on it is. The problem is metagamers don't ever get to have that fun because they cannot separate the fact that they know absolutely everything in the monster manual and their character doesn't. Yep. And to me, it's fun to be a new character. It's fun to have a character that doesn't know everything, that actually learns and grows and gets to make decisions based off of things that it has found. Well, it's the whole reason we game. I mean, it's the whole reason we do all this. Because if you wanted to win the whole time, you wouldn't play this. Role-playing isn't about winning. It's about telling a story. You Right. It's the whole reason, like, a lot of our campaigns, several of our gamers take handicaps, right? Sure. All right, and finally, we come to the noob. Which is the most important type of player. And the most common in many cases. Well, let's hope. Because as long as there are new players, we get to learn about new content. We get to have... New games coming out and new stories. And the second that there stops being new players, eventually there will not be enough people to support this hobby. So there's bad and good aspects of having new players, right? The bad aspects, they're usually clueless in terms of the games. They can often slow a game down because of the lack of knowledge. Most likely, like, what do I have to roll? What am I supposed to do again? They get, you know, they're hesitant because they never played this game before. But that's not always a bad thing it's fine I, I so i don't have i've never had any problem with new players as long as they're actually paying attention and if they're eager most new players are excited about playing if you play it right the problem is is that if you take a bunch of new players and they're playing with i don't know a terrible dm or a bunch of characters who you know are kind of upset because the game's not moving fast enough because you know, the new players or the noob is trying to learn learn how to play, then they can get dissatisfied with the game and then they go away. They don't play anymore, which right. is what you see a lot of as well. But I find playing with brand new characters to be a good experience because it, first off, it lets me see how they play and it opens some up to other people. I think one of the most enjoyable games I've had recently was actually the only two people at the table who had played before were myself and the person running the game. Mm -hmm. The other four players were completely new to tabletop RPGs entirely. 
not even just the system we were playing. That's a lot of fun. You've got people who are excited, people who are trying to figure out, you know, how do you play a character? And because of that, a lot of them are not worried about mistakes. They don't know what, what mistakes even are, right? And so you've got people making character choices that from a power standpoint don't make sense, but the characters are actually interesting. You know what actually is a really good set of new characters to play with if you've ever had the opportunity? And I know you have, and I have too. If you've never had a chance, play with a bunch of kids. Kids are awesome. Kids don't care. They will They will go... There's never a wrong answer for them, no nope. matter how crazy or what you might think stupid. They're they're brilliant. It's fun to play with kids, to especially when they come up with the most amazing scenarios and results. It's uh, yeah, they don't care. They're I, I, I don't know that they're this not should j- they're work. not jaded like we are. Is, is what you're getting at? You know? Well, and the other thing is, is like I don't know that this shouldn't work, so I'm going to try it. And because of that, sometimes. The dice just are like, I love this kid's idea. I'm rolling 20s until it happens. The dice gods are appeased. <laughs> yeah. I Yeah, no, I'm with you. I love I love running for kids. Um, it can be harder to play with a r- group of kids than it is to run for a group of kids. Well, it's like herding cats. Yeah. But if you what what you do with that is you just make the rules simpler. Well, actually, we actually have a episode coming up on how to start a game. If you're, you know, if you're a parent, you want to play, you know, games with your kids. How do you do that? We also have some games or some episodes lined up. If you want to have, I don't know, your friends' kids into the game, which we've done a couple times. We have. Yeah. We're all, you know, old people now, and we, you know, some of our buddies now their kids are of age to play, and so we're they're the noobs and we're showing them the ropes and they will someday do the same thing. Do you have any other characters that you would like to suggest? Feel free to write to us info at goblinscorner.com or you can email us individually at Matt at goblinscorner.com and Eric at goblinscorner.com. It's hard to say, isn't it? We really should. At times. We have the goblinscorner.com. We might need to change that because it's a lot easier to say. Also, Depending on what platform you're listening on, you can probably comment down below. It's true. I just learned about this last week. I'm here to help. I don't I don't I don't comment on anything. But you should definitely comment on things and definitely rate us if the I think what is it, Google Play has that. Spotify, you know, you can give thumbs up or thumbs down. And I think, you know, Apple Music, you pay them for something. You have to pay uh, sure. you have to pay Apple for everything. So I would assume it would, you'd have to pay to to comment to comment or do something nice through their fucking walled garden anyhow that's all the time we have for it today thanks so much for listening to us my name is eric and i'm matt have a good night the goblin's corner is written and produced by eric holden and matt staples show song by the mighty d20 this is a subterranean production Thank you.